Capital FM. We speak English. We play the hits. Welcome to the party. Hey, hey, welcome to the party. Hey, hey, we waking up. An onslaught of pouring rain will continue until Thursday. Weather officials say residents can expect heavy showers and thunderstorms tomorrow as a cold front has approached the Russian capital, causing temperatures to drop. Motorists should drive with caution as there might be some flooding. Moscow is one of the world's top cities in terms of urban environment. City experts say researchers conducted a comprehensive study to compare some of the world's largest cities such as Singapore, New York, Berlin, London, Tokyo, Paris, Seoul, Hong Kong, Shanghai, Mexico and Sao Paulo. The goal was to find out what are the things in the city that make our lives comfortable. According to experts, Moscow has made a great step forward in terms of global competitiveness. We are now objectively at the same level as Paris and Seoul. We need to catch up with New York, Berlin, London and Tokyo and it is possible. Managing Director of BCG Moscow, Konstantin Palunin said, adding that in terms of the number of festivals, Moscow is among the top two cities in the world and in terms of the elimination in the top five. The country's largest lenders, Burbank, has been recognized as the most expensive Russian brand. Its value surged 18% in 2018 to over 670 billion rubles, that's 10 billion US dollars, brand finance consultancy said in its annual review released on Wednesday. Burbank is followed by Gazprom and Lukoil giants. Gazprom's brand value rose by 5%, while Lukoil's has lost 1%. Brand finance puts thousands of the world's biggest brands to the test every year, evaluating which are the most powerful and and most valuable. Finally, Mail.ru Group, which owns the Vkontakte and Anaklastinki popular social media platforms, has called on the government to stop prosecuting social media users under the new anti-terrorism laws. The internet giant petitioned the State Duma to introduce a bill pardoning those charged with inciting hate or insulting religion, Interfax reported on Wednesday. The amnesty should apply to those convicted of extremism for social media activity, including likes, reposts and images, in cases where these actions haven't led to socially dangerous consequences. Currently rated 6 out of 10 on the Moscow roads this hour. According to our interactive map, you'll spend around 70 minutes on your way to and from Sheremetyevo Airport. Driving time to the Medvedevo from the city centre is around an hour and a half and about an hour to get back into central Moscow. A drive to and from Nukovo Airport will last around an hour each way. Weather. 
17 degrees in Helsinki, 20 in Seattle, 26 in Rio de Janeiro. It's raining here in the Russian capital with the temperatures in the low 20s. And that's all the news for now. Valeria Pekov in the studio. Take care. With Alan Moore. Good evening, listeners. This is Capital Sports on Moscow's Capital FM. I am Alan Moore. And this, I have to say, it is a pre-record because we want to get everything right and ready for you guys because we're covering a lot of sports outside as well. We have some superb interviews coming up in this show. We also have interviews that we're doing right now that will be on next week, including one all the way away in Hungary. So we're going to kick off the show right away by having to talk about, I guess, the biggest football transfer last week especially in Russia uh, join me of course same as the last couple of weeks is uh, Big Mac Andy McLean Andy welcome thank you very much good to be back great and I, listen, I mean the one that kind of shook everyone and we did joke about it last week and the very next day it was announced we, we said it wasn't going to like we so just you know Fyodor Smolov every, every transfer window he's going to West Ham he's going to Juve he's going to Russia or Germany wherever it was Spartak Zenit never went but now he's gone to Lokomotiv Moscow I think it's a good move. I think he may have struggled going off to the Premier League having had such an underwhelming World Cup. I think it's a, the right move for him to boost his career again. Champions League exposure. He could get that big move next year. But you think that, you know, I mean, I, I have in the past called him a flat-track bully because, I mean, if you look at his goals last year, the only top side he scored against was Lokomotiv. And that was a game that, well, there's question marks around, especially Mr. Showman's uh, selection, and right afterwards he gets a new contract. But anyway, um, you know th- this. Th- you know this is not a player for me that's going to you know go to war for you. He's a very good player, very talented, but he's not that guy to really you know give his blood and, and, and guts for you. I think Locomotive may have been disappointed with Ari's fitness and form last year, and I think he's a very good alternative to Farfan. Um, yeah, I, I, I think he'll do well. I think he'll get more opportunities. Although Clayson, etc., and uh, Mamayev were very good with the assisting for Smolov last season, he got got on the end of a lot of goals that way. Lokomotiv, they'll, they'll have more options for him, and I, th- I, I think he'll do well. Do you reckon, though, that you know that uh, it's maybe you know Lokomotiv should have just gone for a, a playmaker in midfield, like you suggested last week? That's the hole that I still think needs to be filled rather Lokomotiv. than an attacker. Because I did say yeah. an attacker. I did say an attacker. Said did. maybe a striker. And I joked about Smolov, but <laughs> so less maybe, than twelve hours later, it was a yeah. done deal. Ilya, if you're listening to us right now, you know maybe have a look at the playmaker midfielder. Messi's still on the goal, so. <laughs> uh, but listen, I, I mean, who, who who do you see say knocking around at the moment who might be able to fill in that gap of a mid, uh, playmaker in midfield for a Lokomotiv? Not just not necessarily in Russia. That's a very good question. I think if you were looking in Russia, similar playmakers of that mould that have been very successful since joining Paredes for, for Zenit for me has been one of their best players that's the kind of mould that you need someone perhaps who's played a bit of Italian or German football with the emphasis is on uh, on moving the ball much quicker counter-attacking football which doesn't quite happen as much in Russia but do you think is that mostly down due to the, the mentality of the coaches or the, or the sort of the, the way the players are being brought up I think it's the way the players the players are brought up but also the fact that there is quite an imbalance in a lot of the teams in Russia so the smaller teams you don't need to, to have that kind of style of football you can dominate them from the very beginning and therefore there's not such an, an urgency to, to to have a player of that mould until you, you, you end up playing in Europe and then perhaps struggle when you don't have as much ball as you're used to in the, in the Russian Premier League 
No, just, well, no, that doesn't make sense. It would be difficult. Another question as well, because uh, down in Krasnodar, I mean, one player that last year, well, and this year again, that I thought, you know, should have gone to the World Cup and definitely, uh, you know, has, has massive potential is uh, Ivan Ignatiev. He's a young striker. He, he's scoring goals for fun in the youth uh, Champions League. Uh, also has you know has scored senior goals as well. Uh, he's only what he's nineteen years old still. He's not he's not yet twenty. So this is a, this is a kid that maybe looking what he should have looked ahead a few years and gotten him up instead. I think it's a little bit risky. Yeah, he would have been potentially a backup to maybe Farfan or someone, but I think he probably needs a, a season under his belt of first team football before you can really judge him. Okay, so just to, to let, get a bit of see, but okay, so I guess that, that does make sense. And Smolov is a goal scorer. And Krasnodar have now potentially handed him his opportunity. True, I mean, because Ari has gone back. I mean, he was on loan, on, on loan, wanted to play for Lokomotiv, but I think, as we both noted last year, watching him, he'd gone. He, yeah, he just wasn't there was anymore. Like His fitness was bad, and he was also pulling out of tackles as well. I mean, not, nothing bad. I mean, that, that happens after serious injuries, and he just didn't seem to come back. He didn't contribute to the end of the season. Yeah, his positioning was very good, but the link-up play beyond that, and as you said, yeah, if, if, you're, if you're playing a tough team and you need your, your soul forward to, to press and go and win you the ball back, he wasn't doing it. No, that's true. That's true. Okay, we're going to move away from Russian football for a moment, and we're going to have a little chat with uh, a good friend of the show, someone who's, who's been massively helpful in terms terms of getting our heads around the finances and economics of football and sports in general. Joining us on the train, but on the line, of course. Well, not on the line, but not, not in front of a train, thank goodness. But he's on the telephone line. We have the Deputy Director at the Research and Consulting Centre of the Russian Financial University, Mr. Nikita Osaki. Nikita, how are you doing? Nikita, are you on the line? Yeah, I should be. Can you Girl. hear me now? Yeah, I hear you now, loud and clear. We're just afraid you're actually on the line and a train coming through, so a bit worried. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not on the speaker of the train, it's just, it's just me. That's good. Listen, um, the English uh, transfer window uh, just closed. Now, Andy was explaining uh, why it, it was brought forward um, this year. However, uh, you know, Man United seem to have had a pretty bad window. You know, West Ham seem to have done quite well. Um, you know, but overall, how much money was spent in this window, do you know, Nikita? Well, overall, for, for the EPL clubs, uh, the statistics show that the overall expenditures on transfers were close to 1.4 billion euros. No? Uh, that is 1.4 billion euros spent by EPL clubs. Or two point, one or, okay. I think it was 1.2. Was it 1.4 the season before? No, no, it's 1.4 this season. 1.4 this season. Whoa. Okay. So listen, with, with 1.4 this season, who were the big spenders, Nikita? Well, actually, uh, the smaller clubs uh, turned out to be one, one of the most spenders. Uh, and actually, surprising that uh, a few clubs that are promoted from the championship this season actually spent a lot more uh, than, than they're expected to. Uh, obviously, Wolves were a big spender with. Uh, uh, closing a few big deals as well. Um, and surprisingly, it was a really active in the transfer window. And apart from that, I think Everton also also had a well, Everton and Liverpool. So b- both Mercy clubs were, were actually pretty active in the transfer window. This the, the I'm season. I mean, you know, like we've seen, we've seen the growth, of course, in in uh, spending. And I mean, you've spoken about about uh, this was before. What what is the you know what are the main risks behind all of this, Nikita? Because it, they are re- re- relying very heavily on TV money. Yeah, that, that's right, uh, and that's actually the thing why it's not it's not that big of a risk for the English clubs. Uh, vice versa, if we would have seen the same type of uh, spending uh, among Russian clubs or any other European league, 
just that because uh, in the last season, the 2017-2018 season, uh, we've seen overall that the EPL has been distributing 2.4 billion pounds between all 20 clubs within the EPL. So on average, uh, a club would receive from 100 to 150 billion pounds just for the season. So that's the money the clubs just get for participating in the league. Outside of the English league, we saw uh, Mina, the uh, the absolutely wonderful Colombian central defender. He's he's right, gone right. to Spain. Um, why would you reckon? What, like, would it not have been worthwhile for some of the English clubs to take a punt on him instead? So your question is uh, whether or not English clubs should what? Yeah, that, that they would have taken a, a punt on Mina uh, instead, like you know, to, to spend some money on that. Well, uh, I mean, with the case of Mina, it's uh, actually. Uh, one of those examples of the uh, of the mega event effect on transfers and how there's a bit of an emotional aspect to transfers as well because uh, I think obviously Mina is uh, one of those overpriced transfers because of this well actually stellar performance at the World Cup scoring three goals uh, obviously I mean and uh, he just recently moved to Barcelona I think it was just uh, this, this winter and the transfer fee was close to 12 million back then so now he's moving to uh, to Everton yeah. for th- for 30 million. And not, not having played that much regular football for Barcelona, so this is obviously a bit of a gamble on behalf of Everton. So, but but, but we'll, wait, we'll wait and see because the World Cup is uh, definitely showing that he's a strong defender who can also help out in, in the left third of the pitch as well. Now, I mean, looking at Spurs, for example, like the Spurs, like didn't seem to do anything whatsoever. They 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 did, you know, hold on to their main players like uh, Eriksen, Kane, and Alderweireld. Uh, do you think that they're going to suffer because of that this season? Well, I mean, it's always a trade-off. I mean, the case of Spurs is, is a bit of a... Uh, well, it's peculiar because I think it's the first time in 15 years that a, an English club has not bought a single player in a transfer window. So this is something for the Rutgers, definitely. But, I mean, uh, but the way their, their cost structure... Uh, well, their cost structure is at the moment and the way that, that they're really uh, actually paying wages that are below the average of a top EPL club... So I guess from an economic standpoint, it is beneficial for them to retain their current place because they obviously could not sign anyone with their wage policy that they have at the club. So this was the first um, transfer transfer window in eight years where the fees, overall spending fees, have actually gone down rather than up. And I wanted to ask him whether he thought that was potentially a good thing rather than a bad thing. I mean, I don't know what you reckon. If you like, in terms of just as a, as as a, someone covering. Premier League what would you think I like the fact that clubs are not being held to ransom over the transfer deals and perhaps by moving the window forward that's maybe helped because they know that they can't prolong it they have to do the deal if the money if they think the money's right they'll take it now explain that to me because just before we got Nikita back in line there uh, you were explaining why the transfer window moved because it used to be the first well the first kind of working day in in September yeah um, so last season there was a vote between all the clubs. It wasn't unanimous. I think Manchester United and Liverpool and a couple of others decided against it. But Spurs, who didn't sign anyone, were one of the ones that agreed to move it forwards to the day before the season started, which also happens in Italy. But that's on the 17th of August that their transfer window shuts. So okay, so they were trying to kind of like um, I guess you know it used to be. I mean back in the day when you could just sign someone throughout the year like you know like it was just it was it was free for all and I mean there was sometimes when players were doing very well for a decent like half decent club and they would get snapped up and then never play again like you know just be dumped into into reserves well this is half the reason that they've decided to introduce this new 
transfer window shutting before the season starts because two, three weeks into your season, all of a sudden you lose your best player and the windows then shut. And all you know, a team that might have been aspiring top half or Champions League football, and all of a sudden you have to have a rethink and hope that you get to Christmas still in a position to to be in it. Yeah, it is tough. I mean, just looking, there's one of the uh, notes made about Bournemouth, who, of course, uh, you know, they spent 25 million on uh, pounds, that is, on Jefferson Le- Lima, uh, Lerma, excuse me, and it was the <laughs> it was a 10 year anniversary when they were in League Two, so the bottom division, when they had a 17 point deduction for financial problems. So, I mean, it just shows you how far they've come. I mean, they have Russian money behind them. They have you know, done very well. They have you know been managed, coached very well, bought very very well, but. Again, there's there's these teams that will never have a chance to win the league. You know, you know, Leicester City will never happen again. Well, you look you look at Fulham; they're the first team to have come up to have spent over a hundred million in the transfer window. That's just un, un, unthinkable, especially if they go back down and then fail. All of a sudden, you know, where's the financial fair play in terms of teams who aren't getting into Europe, who aren't doing this, and then get the parachute payments? How do you analyse that? Again and again, that's Fulham, who not too long ago were struggling financially, went back down. Uh, they had, you know, because he got to the Europa League final, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they they did well in Europe, did well in the league, then just went absolute belly up and they had like, Felix Magath, who I worked with in Eintracht Frankfurt. I mean, I wouldn't have too many bad things to say about the man, um, but a lot of people would. And he just came in and, you know, I was thinking, oh, this could be good for Fulham, but it was just an absolute disaster. So, I mean, this is lying in wait. Um, Arsenal, I mean, Arsenal, you know, did some fairly decent business, but do you think, you know, are they, go- are they going to be uh, a teeny little challenges here? It'll be very interesting to see how Unai Emery does. I, I really rate him as a coach. I think he did a fantastic job at Sevilla. I think he was uh, maybe not put in the greatest of positions at Spartak. Well, he was stabbed in the back of Spartak, but that's another story. Well, we'll talk about that later, anyway. Um, I think... The one thing that's encouraging for Arsenal fans is that he's had one transfer window and I think he's plugged holes that perhaps Arsene Wenger failed to do in the last three or four seasons. And it's, it's got a freshness and a vibe to them. Plug, plug the holes that I think Wenger perhaps struggled to do so. Torreira coming from Sampdoria, um, who, who had a fantastic season. So it'll be interesting to see if they can stay in it up until January time and obviously not having the Champions League football where they can maybe tweak and change things and in the way that club, uh, other clubs can't now, I mean Everton I mean they, they seem on the, the final day they just seem to it's like they run into an Aldi or a you know Bergerostic supermarket sweep exactly this is like you know drunk shopping at 2am in the morning just like, kind of like well what, what, what looks tasty here you know and then you go home and wake up next morning and so say like I ate falafel like what the hell is this anyway I mean, what what what's motivating them? I mean, because they're not going they're not going to challenge for the league. I mean, are they looking for a top four spot at the most? I think that well, if Marco Silva would obviously be looking to to maybe get in the mix in that top six, maybe. Um, but yeah, it's, it seems to be that they're having a, a total revamp. Um, the players that are there currently, maybe he doesn't like. I know Kevin Morales, who I rate as a player, he struggled for fitness and form, and mm. perhaps some some other issues, but. He's gone to Fiorentina on loan for the season. They've brought in two or three players for me in the same position, and I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. What about Leicester City? Because there was a rumour uh, that Harry Maguire was going to go to uh, to Everton, then he was going to Man United and so on. So there, he was like being shopped around, basically, but he, he didn't move in the end. Is that, is that good for Leicester? I think it's very good for Leicester. However, if somebody had put in a bid of 75 million or 100 million, which I think the chairman was saying at one point, or the owner was saying at one point, if, if a ridiculous bid comes in, then we'll, we'll have to think about it. But he's only really had one good season. 
and I don't think big clubs will want to pay that much money for him Okay, so we're going to go out to the uh, break. We're going to come back and we're going to have a chat with Alexander Zotov. Uh, so we will, we're will. we going to go out on a nice kind of one. This is a kind of bit of upbeat song. It's a bit of an oldie. Well, oldie as in it's about five years old. This is uh, The Killers and Human. Capital Sports with Alan Moore. I did my best to notice when the call came down the line Up to the platform of surrender I was brought but I was kind And sometimes I get nervous When I see an open door Close your eyes, clear your heart Cut the cord, are we human? My sign is vital My hands are cold And I'm on my knees Looking for the answer Are we human? Or are we dancers? Welcome back, listeners, to Capital Sports on Moscow's Capital FM. This is Alan Moore. Of course, this is a pre-record because we are trying to get everything good in the world of sport just for you. I know last week we had the um, wonderful Dan Rowan on, and that was just that was just brilliant. That was gold. Next week we're going to have someone even well, I can't say even better than that. But we will have Dmitry Bolikin in the studio with us, so that's going to be very very good. Of course, the ex-Russian uh, international, a guy who almost scored a goal a game for Russia. So you know that's that's something to write home about. Um, and before we went off to the break, we were speaking with Leicester City and uh, you know players not moving on deadline day, especially Harry Maguire. Uh, who do you think did the best in the whole transfer window overall in England? I think they did their business very early, which I is much better because you don't have to pay the astronomical fees when people start waiting waiting out. I think Liverpool have done very good business. I think Jurgen Klopp's maybe highlighted that Jordan Henderson isn't quite his player and he's brought two players in 
who are both very versatile in the middle of the park. And I think that was probably their, their, their weak spot last season and obviously goalkeeper. Okay, what about, I have to ask about West Ham. It's exciting. Um, they've brought in a, 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 a strange mix of players. Uh, Felipe Anderson is the one that really excites me from Lazio. I'm still young, sort of maybe in the Dimitri Pay mould. Do you reckon? Because Pay wants to come back to West Ham, which is the strangest thing. Like, I mean, yeah. that was, that was a very, very strange way to ever want to come back. I mean, I, you know, I spoke with that last year because it was, you know, Billich who was kind of like did all the big deals. It was there in the same agency, so it was a big scam. And then Pay wants to come back for more money. I, I don't understand that. I don't. Yeah, um, yeah, he'll be. Intru- I mean, P- P- Pellegrini there now. They've got a, a winner's mentality in the dugout. Yes, yeah, it's, it's going to be a very exciting season for for the Hammers. That's good. That's good. That's, that's good news for me. Well, the Dock are going to win your, the League of Ireland, so I'm happy with that. Okay, we're going to go off now to a call in just one moment um, because we're going to start the discussion uh, with two Russian results in Europe. One of them was a win 2 1 for Ufa at home against uh, Niedergorn from Luxembourg. Given the Luxembourg clubs are pretty decent this year, they're outperforming what, you know, their, their normal kind of uh, heavy losses or like battling wins or battling losses, I should say, in Europe. And the other one, of course, was in Minsk with Dynamo Minsk uh, winning 4-0 against St. Petersburg, Zen St. Petersburg, which just shocked us all. So we're very happy to have on the line. Last time he was in the studio was just a couple of weeks ago, but on the line is the CEO of the All-Russian Football Players Union and a member of the executive committee for of the Russian Football Union. Alexander Zatov, how are you doing? No, I'm great. How are you? Very good indeed. Thank you very much. So is it, we, 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 we're going to speak about Fyodor Smolov in a moment, but what happened to Zenit last night, do you reckon? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they had to do something with not showing the game on TV. So <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I was so shocked. Uh, you know, not only that they lost, but with the results itself. You know, because Dynamo uh, Minsk um, is a decent team, and Belarusian football was always quite good. If you remember uh, the yeah. years of Soviet Union or. Uh, 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 the Grab Brothers, you know, and, and it's a uh, it, it it always had its stars and its good football players. So I mean, it's not a bad team, but but still, comparing to Zenit with all this financial uh, abilities and then uh, ability to buy good players and uh, from around the world, and uh, it's a big, it's supposed to be a big club, and uh, a loss like that, the results itself is, is shocking. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there were, I mean, you noted it actually at the weekend, because uh, last weekend we were at the uh, Lokomotiv Spartak game, you know, that there is that kind of settling in period. Uh, now, we did look at Zenit to go and win the league uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, mm-hmm. but you did say, you know, to to be a bit cautious about it. So, you know, does does Europe really matter to them, or they just want to win the league? No, I think, uh, I think... Both the domestic and the international competitions are very important for Zenit. Um, their only big European win was basically uh, the, the, the Europa League in uh, 2007 or 8. I don't yeah. remember exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's an important competition with all the international players and the, you know playing there. So I think it's important for them to also to, to show themselves on the. Uh, European level, so 
I don't think it's something that they are, you know, that they were planning to do or to, you know, be kicked out of the tournament so quick and uh, to, to lose so, such a game, you know, in this manner. I'm not saying that they're, they're already gone, but, you know, from coming back from 0 nothing, uh, 4-0, uh, playing without their home crowd in, in St. Petersburg next week, I think it's going to be really tough for them. Now, that is because they, they, they're playing behind closed doors, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, okay, um, now, just moving slightly, I want to speak with Ufa, but I want to just go back um, a little bit, one day earlier, to the Pauk Salonika and uh, Spartak Moscow. So, of course, we were covering that game, and Spartak... Mm-hmm. Um, went from 2-0 up to, uh, as uh, Andy described, a disastrous 15 minutes when they conceded three goals and went on to lose 3-2. Yeah. Now, there were other scenes around it where uh, Russian journalists were being attacked. Um, do we have any more information about that, Alexander? Has anything else uh, come of it? Well, I haven't been you know, closely following the, the issue with the journalists. They, uh, I hope they have their own union to do that, but... Um or not, I don't know. But uh, I've heard different different stories also coming from Greece and coming from the from our journalists, and it's very hard to to get a clear picture of what's really happened there. So I cannot comment because I you know I have a mixed mixed information coming. So uh, I hope everything was okay, and I hope that uh, I mean we all know what happens in Greece in football is how excited and passionate they are about football and about you know, going to football games and sometimes they're overwhelmed maybe with this excitement. We saw what happened with on a power game uh, at the end of last season when uh, uh, Ivan Savidi, the, the owner of the club, was uh, went on the field uh, not not satisfied with the decision of, of the referee and he was with a gun and <laughs> bodyguards. So, you know, hopefully everything's okay and I hope it's more of emotional, you know, uh, emotional thing then there was a really a, the aggression that is being described on the, in the media so I hope so well the, it was something that you know I, I, I did find it I'm just a, from just from a personal point of view when, when I'd seen a Russian uh, journalist Spartak journalists especially or Spartak affiliated journalists shall we say and they were complaining uh, that when they jumped up for the first two goals the Greek officials or the UEFA officials told them to sit down uh, and then when the Pauk scored the Greek journalists all started jumping up and the Spartak journalists were complaining like why are they allowed to jump up and we can't when you know as a journalist you're meant to just sit down and cover the game so it was kind of a it was yeah. a, it was surreal it was like kind of like you know, Alice in Wonderland stuff um, is Savita still involved with, uh, with Russian football Alexander do we know well, I, I cannot say for sure. I know that he <clears throat> used to be really active in Rostov. In uh, I mean, Rostov as a city, also helping Ska Rostov and helping um, Ros- FC Rostov uh, with uh, like financially when they had uh, that. Uh, so I'm not I'm not sure if he's still involved directly. I think he moved most most of his uh, activities to Greece, and uh, I think it's mainly Greek football that he's involved now than Russian. Okay, I, um, now Ufa could have had uh, a great a great result um, against Progress Niederkorn. They were leading to nil and conceded a late goal. Um, like, is is that good for smaller clubs in Russia to see what Ufa can do and aspire to that? Because they are are they a fairly well run club in the in the overall view, uh, Alexander? Well, I think we were discussing this recently with you. I think they're a decent club, even though they had. They're really struggling uh, in the on the international arena. You know, I, I 
I thought that they would be, you know, that they wouldn't have any problems against the Mzali and that I was sure that they wouldn't, wouldn't have any problems against the, the uh, progress team. But it seems that, that uh, you know, maybe it's, it's lack of experience of playing in such tournaments. But your question also is about whether this inspires other clubs, and it does, because we had the same situation with Rostov a couple of years ago when they were playing in the European League. And, uh, I mean, for, for clubs like that, it's, it's, it's both uh, a good, a good uh, promotion of, of, their, of the club, of the franchise, and also it's, uh, it's a good promotion. Uh, it's also a way to, to make some money because uh, you, you can get decent money from playing from in Europe League. So it's both a good thing for the budget and also a good thing for the, the, the fans and the team you know, to, 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 to set up their name on, uh, on the international stage. Well, that, that, that is a point and that's exactly it because it is that one of those things that we you know when we see you know your your local team playing us you know it doesn't matter if it's not it doesn't need to be Real Madrid or Manchester United even if it's like mm-hmm. the progress or Dom Jale, these are teams who have a lot of European experience because of the nature of their leagues so it's easier to qualify mm-hmm. for example so mm-hmm. no it's inspiring so and again this all comes back to what we've always spoken about inspiring kids so if it gets just a few more kids sure. in, you know, it's, sure. it's, it's great. Yeah. Um, I want to just ask you about the uh, small of transfer. I mean, were you surprised by that? Well, I'm not surprised that it happened because there were talks about it for some time now. I mean, not only lately, but also before. So there was this option. Um, I think um, also, you know, it's it's good for the player because because I think he needed some change to happen uh, and to snap out of the situation he's now in. We've we've seen that apart from all the national team of uh, Russia, you know, performing really good in the World Cup. Feather was I think one of the players who 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 missed out of the World Cup, unfortunately, who who didn't perform as well as he can. And we saw what happened after, you know, with the, with the accident and everything. And I think he he needs to, you know, really to change this the scenery and maybe to change the club. He needed to change the club, you know, to to, to try to to change something in his uh, career and um, maybe to reload it again because he's a good player. We've seen that he he was twice, I think, uh, the best uh, scorer in the in the in the championship of Russia. He had. There were rumors that he might go to quite big clubs in, in Europe, and it didn't happen. Loco will be playing in uh, Champions League, and it's a good way to again to to you know to push yourself to a new limit and to maybe to show himself again uh, himself and other uh, clubs you know in Europe that he, he's a good player and maybe to move somewhere because I think I'm he played already in Holland and I think he probably if he had a decent. Uh, Decent uh, club uh, wanting him in Europe, he might go. So, so I think I think and for Loco it's a good a good signing also because uh, they needed a, a striker. So, so I think everybody might should be happy about this. It's a good fit. Okay. So, and Andy has a question here for you, uh, Alexander. Okay, Alexander. Yeah, um, hello, my friend. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Very well. Do you think? I mean, we saw the the, the Zenit game. Very disappointing. I think Samak took the opportunity to, to use some of the foreign players, Drisi, Rigoni, Kranveta, mm-hmm. all came back. Do you think we're about to see a transitional period in Russian football now with 
after the World Cup where they realised they had all these ageing players, Ignashevich, the Berezutsky brothers that have now all retired, do you think we'll see a transitional period where a lot of the clubs who are getting exposure in Europe like Ufa will try and nurture a few young players and will maybe see it being a little bit underwhelming in that sense uh, for the next season or two? Well, I hope it happens because for me, this is the perfect model for Russia. I don't like the idea of uh, of bringing in aged uh, players, even though with all respect and everything. But uh, I think the story of Golovin and uh, and uh, other young players that were popping out uh, popping up in CSKA lately and maybe some other clubs. This is a good way. I mean, we have a lot of football schools, we have a lot of academies uh, and clubs, basically. They were ignorant of them, I think, and uh, focusing mainly on on international transfers and everything. So it's a good thing if it happens. I mean, if if more and more uh, Russian young players will be developing in, within their clubs and and going to Europe, I'm 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 two hands for it. Yeah, you look at CSKA at the moment. I think their average age of their starting eleven is about twenty two. Yeah, that's that's exactly my point. Yeah, and, and, and they, they were pushed to this, you know, you know, the situation in Seska and, and uh, you know, with finances and everything. I think it, they had no option but to choose this model of developing, and I think it's great. I mean, it is it is good to see that because I've seen even uh, Nikita Chernov, the defender, has come back in as well. I mean, he's already played yeah. for Russia, so I mean, the, the national team. Yeah, exactly for, for the Premier League club, but he was already on the national team. There you for, go. Yeah, I mean, it, it, this the, this is good, and there is there is talent. I mean, there there a lot of it against the odds coming sure, through in Russia. Sure, so sure. use it, you know. Uh, so just be, be, before we go away, we've got uh, just a couple of quick questions for you. So we've seen this bouncing crowds from the uh, the third level, the PFL, through the FNL which scores the second division um, or second level all the way to the Premier League so crowds have increased now you, you, as you rightly put it it's like that there's a new stadium so it's just you know it's nice to come into them it's clean and the whole lot but even outside of those new stadiums crowds are generally up do you think you know can we be optimistic about Russian football at the moment well one thing is uh, we can be sure about this, that the patient is not dead yet <laughs> so okay that's a good <laughs> that makes me really happy <laughs> well, yeah and I hope I mean sometimes you know World Cup can have an effect when it boosts football in the country but also sometimes it has a opposite effect because people get so much a lot of emotions during the World Cup and then they're not interested in their domestic championship or whatever for a year or two but in Russia it seems that people really got excited a lot of people who didn't follow football or sports football are now getting involved a lot of ladies do that I know because they're like I can hear from a lot of girls discussing women discussing that uh, who played, who is small, who is who is uh, Galavin, who who were which club that they're playing for. So I think there's a lot of big commotion that was started by the World Cup and the, the good performance of the national team. And this also, of course, this this attracts people. And as as we already said about the the, the stadiums, once once you enter a good stadium, and um, if, if if it's your first or second or third game that you go to, and you really like the atmosphere and everything, you you will be hooked on it. So so it's, I think it's happening, and it's a good effect. Excellent. Just no, just on a sort of a slide segment, a slide away from that. Um, Washington, your beloved Redskins, they kicked off uh, against New England uh, in yeah, New England. Sure. Yeah, they got they you know they lost, but not that much. It was twenty six seventeen in the preseason. Are you optimistic this year for the Redskins? 
They had the same game as Spartak against Pauls. They were leading 17 nothing. They lost 26-17. Well, we have to see because they have uh, uh, they have a new starting quarterback, mm-hmm. McCoy, who because Kirk Cousins left. Uh, Captain Kirk is in some other galaxy now, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so we have Doctor McCoy now for, for as a quarterback. <laughs> Yeah, um, we'll see how it, it how he does because he's uh, he has been with the squad for some time now, but he hasn't been the starting quarterback. Uh, he's uh, both uh, a passing and a rushing quarterback, so we I mean this might work for 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 uh, for Washington. I really hope they perform because um, the Washington Redskins I was a big fan of in the eighties. Is nothing compared to the one I see in 2000 and 2010. You know, because because they rarely make it to the playoffs, and they are uh, usually have a six nine six wins nine losses season. So, I hope this season really changes, and I hope they find their quarterback, and that McCoy is their quarterback. To, you know, to, who can persist. Well, to, fingers uh, fingers crossed. They're yeah. kicking off on the 9th of September yeah. on Sunday out in uh, Glendale, in Arizona, playing against the Arizona yeah. Cardinals. So, fingers crossed. Cardinals. Alexander, thank you so, so much. Have a, have a great yeah, thank evening. You. Thank you very much. We'll thank see you very bye. soon. Bye thank bye. you. Bye-bye. That was Alexander Zotov of the All-Russian Football Players Union and, of course, the Russian Football Union as well. We're going to go to a break very, very quickly with a good old one. This is Jesus Jones and right here, right now. Capital Sports with Alan Moore.
Yes, it's that time of the week, that time of the show, when we start to talk about Russian football. As as I always say, if you have heard that song before, then you know what we're going to do. So, straight away, we have uh, fixtures this coming weekend. It's the fourth round, of course, of the uh, Russian Premier League. Uh, on Friday, kicking off, we have Angie and Orenburg. We have, on Saturday, starting off with uh, Siska Arsenal. That's, of course, out in Siska's new stadium. Krasnodar playing Spartak Moscow. So, that, that's going to be a tough one for Spartak. That's kicking off at 7 o'clock down in uh, Krasnodar. Of course, the Siska game is kicking off off at 4.30. Uh, later on then on Sunday at 4.30 out in Samara, Krylia Sovietov, they're hosting Lokomotiv. And finally on Monday we have Dinamo playing Ufa that we've been speaking about earlier on the show. Ufa are playing in Dinamo out in Himki. That kickoff is at 7.30. Zenit will be playing at home against Ural. So, well, I mean, that's that's how it's going to be. Akhmat are playing Rubin and Rostov playing Yenisei Krasnoyarsk. So, Andy, which of those uh, catch your eye right now? Krasnodar Spartak, I think, is the pick of the, the fixtures that week. That would be, obviously, with uh, Smolov gone, it would be interesting to see how Krasnodar do, with whether they change things up, change system, and Spartak really need to push on and, and start putting games to bed and winning them. I mean, they dominated against uh, Loco away, didn't take their chances, took two chances against Pauk, ended up losing. They need to start getting their, those points on the board. Yeah, of course, against Lokomotiv, I mean, they, they didn't, as we spoke with last week, they didn't, uh, you know, really, and as the match wore on, they, it wasn't that they got weaker, they just seemed to hold back a little bit and sort of go back in this defensive Italian mindset. When when they were playing freely and flowing, they were really, really good. They, you know, they, they, they had, I did notice that uh, Promise, as the game went on, he got more and more tired. Now, he was someone who was being lined up for a move to Tottenham, for example. He's also looked at by uh, Roma, but he didn't move. Do you think... Is there still a chance that he'll move? He's like that this transfer window, he will go, or like it's it's all roads are closed. I'd be surprised if Spart. I mean, if, if a big bid came in, then I think Spartak would have to consider it. But I don't think there'll be a big club at this point looking for someone in that position, unless there's you know a huge amount of change and they need a quick deal done and done. But yeah, I mean, uh, I, I foresee him staying in. Spartak for the season. Okay, that's fair enough. Okay, so get okay, so uh, Krasnodar Spartak that catch your eyes. So, uh, what what would you like to give a tip for our listeners? Um, Orenburg away at Angie Makachkala, first game of the round. They beat uh, Krylia four nil on the road, and Angie obviously with uh, with their internal problems, Orenburg are over even money, and I think that's good value. Yeah, so basically just that they're they're the ones to go. Yeah, I mean I think uh, Orenburg are a decent team. They you know as you know they're well used to travelling because they're right on the border with Kazakhstan. A beautiful, beautiful town, beautiful city, I should say. Uh, very, very nice, and they have like a a very nice, homely setup in the club. I mean, they've, they've done very, very well um, and survived quite a few changes. Uh, I'm looking at, at Siska because I mean Siska are you know they're they're an up and down kind of team this season. Um, as as we mentioned earlier on, or you mentioned earlier on with uh, Alexander Zotto, that they are in transition. That could be another one that could be a little bit of a shocker because Arsenal are not a bad team. Yeah, they're a very robust, difficult to break down and, you know, young players as we mentioned, young average team, a couple of new additions at the back as well. They, if they don't get an early goal, their, their heads could start to go, they maybe lose focus and, yeah, Arsenal, Arsenal too, could pull off a maybe a, a little shock result with a draw or 
Okay, yeah, a draw would in fairness be a shock result. Um, look, for for me, for sort of what I'd look to, to have a tip, I'd say just like Locomotive as an away win tomorrow. I just think that they, they will have, they'll have all their cards on the table, they'll be able to push on, and even though Samara is not an easy place for anyone to visit, they've shown that they're just not quite up to the pace yet this season. So there could be a few more hammers before they start to salute. Although they did get a draw against SK. Yes, however... Cisco or like Cisco also lost as well, like at home. So like, like I, I wouldn't put too much stock in that. But then okay, so you're going uh, with uh, Orenburg to pull off a win against Angie, and I'm looking at Lokomotiv to also to win away, but against Krilis Samara Sovito. Samara, excuse me. Of course, if Pat can go and win there, same Pat's from Ireland. Anyone can, right? Uh, and I, I like Pat. Right now, over to England. So the second round of matches on, and they're kicking off on Saturday. Saturday we've got Cardiff and Newcastle, and uh, that's well, that's an interesting game. But a, a London derby is Spurs and Fulham. That's kicking off on Saturday at five o'clock. It's going to be an interesting one. It's going to be one that I think has a, a lot to offer, and it'll give us a real view of where the Spurs are at right now. However. The match of the weekend is also on Saturday. It's at 7.30 and it is Chelsea against Arsenal. What do you reckon with that? I mean, that, that's, that's a big, big showdown so early in the season. Yeah, absolutely huge. Um, be very interesting to see how the two new managers are going to style whether one thinks they've got the upper hand or not. I, I think Sari designed or put together arguably the most exciting team to watch last season in Napoli. Whether he can tweak and get things right so quickly for Chelsea I think he'll get their fitness levels up the style that he plays it's expansive I don't think it really would suit the Premier League so much it'd be interesting to see how he why would that is because just the the Premier League is a bit more yeah it's quite more robust it's it's a bit more robust I think they had the the likes of Lorenzo Insigne Dries Mertens they're all lightweight technically very gifted players and I think in the Premier League, a few of them will get, get knocked off the ball, perhaps get hassled a bit more, won't get as much time, won't get to turn. And I think, you know, you look at someone like William or Victor Moses, they're a bit more robust, but they won't have the technical ability to beat the player like Sari had certain options with Hamsik dropping in. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, so it'd be very interesting to see how he sets up, whether he goes for a 4-3-3. He didn't initially want to at Napoli. He wanted to set up with three at the back, but he lost the, the first game against Sassuolo joked uh, with, um, with with the club president in Napoli that it would probably take him seven losses before he gets it right and then the next game he changed his formation and they won <laughs> well that's where it goes um, just a question is Huddersfield in Yorkshire I think so okay so then again we so then and uh, also the weekend <laughs> on Sunday we have uh, a big Yorkshire Lancashire showdown uh, so Lancashire of course represented by Manchester City Huddersfield Town for Yorkshire that's kicking off at 3.30 so Huddersfield Town are a team that like they, they, they've been investing steadily in their side they've, they're well capable of doing well um, anything of interest there in, in Huddersfield um, they signed a few good players. I think they got Durham from Borussia Dortmund. Uh, Sobby, who looks like he's going to be a real talent from Stoke. I, well, they, I mean, they, they're going to have a difficult season. They've signed maybe six, seven players, getting them to gel. And obviously they had a good season just staying up last year, being able to now go on and repeat that now that other clubs have seen what they can do, where their weak points are. I think they're in for a tough ride this year, especially with Wolves and Fulham spending big and Wolves getting some great players and Jao Matinho in. 
now there's there's two clubs perhaps in front of them in that pecking order where they might just get dragged a bit further down this year. So into, it's a relegation battle, basically. I think so. I mean, I I, I wanted to to try and get another Andy Andy Farmer in as well to speak with because he's a Wolves fan. Uh, finally, he's a Wolves fan because he moved to quite a few different affiliations. But uh, with Wolves, I mean. Should we be asking questions about agents and uh, investments and so on and so forth? Because it does seem a little bit like a uh, risque. I think there should be more questions asked about what happened at Sporting Lisbon. Mm, yeah, okay. With that, that, well, the, yeah, yeah. With, with, with players kind of like being released from contracts, especially with agents and so on. I mean, is it healthy for football? I mean, because we, we've, we've seen clubs very quickly melt down when like a big benefactor is taken away or when they rack up huge debts. Like, for example, Rangers up north of the border. So, I mean... You know, should we be worried about Wolves right now, or Fulham even as well? I'm, I'd be more worried about the, the the sheer influx of foreign imports this year, especially and Wolves and and Fulham between the two of them. I think they've only got maybe two or three Brits, and not even in their starting eleven. That's it. I mean, yeah, in their squads, in I their think, squads. Yeah, I think last season they said the average, or uh, it was f- just over fifty percent of, of British clubs buying foreign imports. And this year it was it was over seventy five percent or seventy four percent of the players that were signed were from abroad. Well, I mean, it it goes all the way from where there were very very few overseas, shall we say, or non British or Irish players playing in the top flight, well, especially top flight in England. Um, and now it's you know they're very very much a minority, like barely able to get their games. Clubs don't have any uh, duty. To the national teams of where they're based. I mean, that's that they never they never had. There might have been a little bit in the past, or at least they would say so when they were trying to keep fans happy. But now they don't really need the fans. They well, more need a TV revenue. Certainly, when you look back to the big clubs when they were playing Champions League, they could only field three foreigners. And I remember Manchester United. They had uh, even Dennis Irwin and, and Roy Keane were considered foreigners because of Republic of Ireland. And they had Cantona, Kanchelskis, etc. But they could only pick three of them. And Schmeichel in goal. Um, Therefore, what, what's the point of bringing in all of these big players if you can't then play them in the big games? Now, with the influx of all the foreign coaches, they kind of pick and choose. You saw Sari bringing over Jorginho to Chelsea. He, he knows that he can be trusted. He knows what he can do. But because these players, you know, maybe they don't have a great understanding of the British market and they see the price of British players double the price of some of the foreign players at the moment just because they're British then obviously uh, but the, the attraction is to pay less and get in someone that they know and can trust. Yeah, exactly. And of course, most of these foreign lads have already been playing top level, whereas a lot of the English, Irish, Welsh, Scots lads have barely had the exposure. haven't had his chance. You know, Not even at the lower leagues, because most of them don't move down. Um, looking across at one of the games, of course, we have the Foxes against the Wolves. So Leicester City against Wolverhampton. That is on Saturday at 5 o'clock. Uh, now... Again, Wolverhampton, you know, looking to do well, but are, are they kind of are they just going to be a, a top ten team rather than a top five? I think top ten would be a, a wonderful achievement for them this year, and, and then they can kick on and decide, you know, right, can can we reach Europa League? Can we reach the top five bracket? Um, but just staying in the league this year, I think, will be a, yeah. a good target. Okay, fair enough. What's your tip for for the weekend for the EPL? Let's have a look. I think. Everton, I think, will be buoyed by all of those new players coming in, whether they get to jail them. Southampton, a bit of unhappiness that nobody was really brought in. Mark Hughes admitted very early on that, that, that they were going to struggle to get deals oh, Sorry, mm-hmm. uh, d- d- deals over the line. Uh, I think they got one in yeah, last I think minute. Yeah, yeah, last minute. Uh, was it Dan- Danny Ings? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think Everton there for me. 
Okay, so Everton to win at home against uh, Southampton. That game is kicking off on Saturday at 5 o'clock. Now, moving away slightly uh, and back onto the NFL, the NFL players, many NFL players have again spoken about doing the protest because it's already begun. It begun when the, the preseason kicked off. Um, what What's going on at the moment there, do you, do you know, Andy? It's it's still the preseason, right? And they've, they've already started with the protests. Yeah. Um, I just don't really see the point in it. I mean, it, it's, your, it's your national anthem, regardless of whether you're taking a stand against racism or Donald Trump or just the sport in general. Is, is, is it really necessary to make that, that bow? You can do it in so many other ways. You can you know, go outside of the sport and be proactive and go into communities and do it. Taking a bow at a national anthem, I've, I've never really understood is is it this um is it this you know when they're taking a knee or they're dropping yeah. their heads or is it this now social media phenomenon that like they they want to do this because for me again i agree it doesn't make sense it's a national anthem fine if you protest you go out and you speak about it you go out and do right and you go out and protest because these guys they're not all multimillionaires they are wealthy individuals but a lot of them you know they earn money in the season and not in the off season so they should be more socially active rather than socially media active you know yeah I mean this has all been picked up on by CNN and all the big media groups in the US and they're running it and you know it's the anti-Trump sort of campaign look look at what sport look what he's turned sport into do you think it's more that they're, used, they're, they're using for their own ends like yeah a little bit and I'd, yeah yeah and because social media these guys have such a um, a spread and influence over Twitter and social media Facebook etc that why take a bow when you can actually go out and speak and actively do something and get people involved and rather than just dipping your leg I, I always I always uh, you know would wonder why would these guys not go out and say okay let's get guns off the streets so you know for example so okay we'll remove that element so like start off with something you can win a quick win and do like that but anyway that's that's nearly here there. okay we also have some other uh, major sporting events going on we have the European Aquatic Championships that includes all the diving and uh, kind of drowning with a smile on your face as I've heard like synchronized swimming called um, or drowning gracefully um, one good news on that is that Russia Russia okay no comment Top the table with 19 goals, 12 silver, 8 bronze, so 39 overall. And in second place, running away there uh, with 30 medals were Great Britain with 12 goals, 9 silver and 9 bronze. And just bringing up the rear in third place were Italy, uh, so 6 six gold, 12 silver and 17 bronze. Now we also have up there doing quite well the Netherlands and France and Germany. So all these countries where there's questions to be asked, all doing well. I mean... How, how has have the swimming authorities kind of just given up on trying to regulate what goes on? Well, I don't. I don't want to say yes there. Yeah. Um, you kind of just did right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Russia's always had a good tradition in in, in swimming events, especially with Hungary as well. I mean, synchronized and exactly and diving as well. So yeah, and they they swept the board. I think on the on, on the synchronized swimming. I think it was only Ukraine that that won a, a gold and medal. And again, it's, this, this goes gymnastics, synchronized yeah. swimming. So there is that kind of like a bit of an overlap. So you would expect them to, yeah, as you said, to clean up on those it's, events. It's it, it's a huge sport here in terms of getting your children out to to go and do. Uh, athletic activity of any kind swimming is one of the, the first go-tos and obviously if you're good at it you get picked up and you get developed gymnastics likewise from the age of 13 14 
Exactly. I mean, even diving, like, you know, the, like Britain top the table, not like, you know, they, they won six medals, three goals. Russia came second. Again, diving is a very, you know, a very te- technical, very, very tough sport as well. And, you know, it, it's something, and even with the open water swimming, I mean, Netherlands swept the boards on that in the men's in the open water swimming, so they, they won three goals. That's when they swim outside the pool, like in a canal or a river pond whatever like you know um and you know so it, it is it Quickest is kind of to get to work exactly uh, before we go we have one, one other one uh, with the athletic championships uh, so that's just finished as well so again good results good results from 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 uh, ireland where we actually got a medal which was actually you know made everyone quite happy at home i, I was watching that actually live in i think she broke down in tears did, did she not did 